Amen. Praise God. All right. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to our master text in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we've been looking at the last several weeks. Um, we've been doing a series called In the Likeness of His Resurrection that we began on uh, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And uh, we've been talking about how and why that we need to be walking in holiness and pursuing Christ-likeness in our lives and exactly how to do that, giving, giving you some principles about how to do that, practical principles. So when you find uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, would you stand up with me and let's honor the word of God as it's being read and proclaimed? Verses three through six, which says this, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right. Once again, as I've been uh, saying, we um, have been on this uh, series in the likeness of his resurrection for the last several weeks. I've been giving you principles, practical ways to walk in holiness. And we're going to cover just one today. Now, I've been doing a verse by verse uh, teaching. I don't do verse by verse very often, but we've been doing verse by verse uh, through Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 as well. So now we're ready for chapter 8, and we'll get to those thoughts in a few minutes. But I just want to begin by letting you know that my title for this morning, Pulling Down Imaginations, is one very practical way that we walk in holiness, uh, controlling our thoughts, our minds, pulling down every imagination and high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now, I want to set this up. Um, I think many of you that are my age probably, you remember the name Ted Bundy. Some of you younger ones may not know who that is. Ted Bundy was a serial killer who was executed in Florida in 1989, and uh, he kidnapped, abused, and murdered 30 women that he admitted to, and they speculate that there was probably more. Um, and in prison, he spent many, many years on death row. And in that process on death row, he actually got saved. And um, he granted an interview to focus on the family <clears throat> right before his execution. And in that, that interview with focus on the family, he said that the thing that got him started down that road was that as a young boy, he discovered near a dumpster near his house, these detective magazines. And these detective magazines uh, depicted these very scantily clad women bound and gagged and in violent types of situations. And he said that had an impact on him. As a young boy, of course, he was very impressionable. And of course, the detective magazines gave way to <clears throat> harder pornography and things of that nature. 
he said that the things that he was dwelling upon and the imaginations that entered his heart and mind that became part of his thinking, his body ultimately demanded that he act out. And uh, I'm going to get to more of that here in just a little while. See, if you don't pull down these imaginations, protect your mind from what it dwells upon, it can take you down a very dark road. So I like this quote here from Ezra Taft Benson, who says that some of the greatest battles will be fought within the silent chambers of your own soul. So the battle that's within all of us, not just the Ted Bundys of the world, the battle that is within all of us when it comes to holiness is the battle against our old nature and our new nature. Because you still have a sin nature. But the good news is, as we've been talking about the last few weeks, is now you have a new nature that battles against the old. So that you don't have to do what your old nature dictates any longer. Praise God. So we covered uh, Romans chapter 7 last week on that point, but I want to read to you, as we, right before we jump into Romans chapter 8, I want to read to you a really profound quote from Charles Spurgeon, one of the most quotable pastors of all time probably, and, and I want you to pay very close attention as we read this together. He, he said this, Why, dear friends, the Christian man, after he is saved, repents more than he ever did before, for now... He repents not merely of overt deeds, but even of imaginations. Hmm. He will take himself to task at night and chide himself because he had tolerated one foul thought, because he has looked on vanity, though perhaps the heart had gone no further than the look of lust, because the thought of evil has flitted through his mind. For all this, he will vex himself before God. And were it not that he still continues to believe the gospel, one foul imagination would be such a plague and sting to him that he would have no peace and no rest. When temptation comes to him, the good man finds the use of repentance. For having hated sin and fled from it of old, he has ceased to be what he once was." So see, this is the man that realizes that sin isn't just outward, it's also inward. Last week you heard me talk about the difference between iniquity and transgression. Transgression is an outward sin committed with the body. Iniquity is committed on the inside when nobody else sees but you and God. So this is talking about... Charles Spurgeon's quote is talking about iniquity. We chastise ourselves even for iniquity. Now, repentance then... I just want to make this clear, isn't just a one-time act when you came to Christ. It certainly is that, but it's not just that. See, it's a lifestyle, and in that we find rest for our souls. So then it's a paradox, isn't it? Because for the person who truly seeks after holiness, that rest does come. Even though we're often vexed by our failures and weaknesses. So it's kind of a paradox. Even though we, we, we see these, these failures and weaknesses of our character when we're pursuing holiness, even though those things vex us, even, even so, as we're pursuing holiness, we still find rest for our souls. So it's a, it's a paradox, isn't it? Hallelujah. So that's why we're talking about this. 
So the practical ways to pursue holiness, to walk in holiness that we've covered so far, um, just give you a quick review, is to understand that holiness is a command, not a suggestion. It's a command, not a suggestion. Be holy as I am holy, the Lord said. Second principle, feed on God's word. You've got to transform your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans 12, 2. Uh, cut off access. And remember we talked last week about uh, gouging out the eye and cutting off the hand figuratively. You cut yourself off from the things that tend to pull you in um, to sin and temptation. And then guard the company you keep is also a very important principle as well. You've got to guard the company you keep when you're learning to grow in holiness. You can't just hang out with the old crowd. You know, when I came to the Lord um, 30 some years ago, whatever it was, um, I knew right away, there's some people I had to cut myself off from. My, I couldn't hang out with my old crowd anymore, right? So you need to guard the company that you keep. So I thought that one of the things that I need to do, and I have, haven't done so far in this series, is actually define what holiness is. So let me just give you a quick Webster's Dictionary definition of what holiness is, and that's this, exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness divine. And that's a great description of God right there, as we also see in Psalm 99.9, for the Lord our God is holy. That's a description of him right there, exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness divine. Also, as it pertains to us, devoted entirely to the deity or the work of the deity, having a divine quality, venerated as sacred. Okay? So, again, God says, be holy as I am holy. Be moving in that direction. Pursue holiness is what he's saying. So, I want us to read now out of Romans chapter 8. In fact, if you still have your Bibles handy, go ahead and... Um, let's turn to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to give you kind of a long reading right now, so just bear with me and be patient with me. I'm going to read the first 18 verses of Romans chapter 8, and then we're going to go verse by verse. We're going to go back and go verse by verse so we can understand this better because there's some great application points here and great encouragement in this chapter as well. So are you ready? Are you all there? Here we go. Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, 
are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. Hallelujah. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Praise God. Okay, well, let's just dive into that and break that down, shall we? Here we go. All right, so let's go back to verse 1 and 2 for a minute. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For in Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set you free from the law of sin and death. All right, so there's two laws at work here. One law, the law of sin and death is a law of works. In other words, I'm good enough to get into heaven because of these various good deeds. Then the other, the other law is a law of grace, which would say there is no good in me that would merit God's pardon. But because of what Jesus did and my faith in him, I am made right in God's sight. That's the law of grace. Okay, now, you know, probably we've quote this many times in, in this church, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You probably know it by heart, many of you. Let's read it again for it pertains to this uh, verse that we just read from Romans. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. In other words, you're not going to get to heaven or appease God because you checked off your little checklist and um, you, know, you feel like your own merits and your own character are going to earn God's pardon. It does not work that way. It's by grace, our faith in Jesus Christ and his grace. And we also quote, as you know, especially on Communion Sunday, 2 Corinthians 5.20, which, which says that, that Jesus, who had no sin, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, which is just an amazing, amazing uh, verse to me. Praise God. Um, let's look at also verse 3. For what the law, it's talking about the Old Testament law, Okay, in case you didn't know that, what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the flesh. The law was weakened by the flesh. What's that mean? Well, see, the, the, the law 
couldn't save us. That's what that means. The law couldn't save us because we have no ability to keep it perfectly. So the law was never designed to save us. It was only designed to show us how sinful we are and that we need a savior. That's the purpose of the law. Okay, James 2.10 is related to this. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Now, somebody might say, well, Andy, how's that fair? That if you just stumble in one part of the law, you're guilty of breaking all of it. Well, it's very simple. It's very similar to our judicial system of today. Because if you're standing before a judge, and let's say, for example, you hit hard times financially, and you just get really desperate, and you decide to rob a 7-Eleven at gunpoint. Or since Steve Hall is here, Circle K which he used to work for for a long time. Are you still doing a little consulting work for them, Steve? Yeah, I thought so. So you, you decide to, to hold up a, you know, a, a Circle K at gunpoint. Well, you get caught, and you stand before the judge, and the judge says, do you have anything to say before I pass down sentence? And you say, well, yeah, judge. I mean, I've kept the law perfectly up until this point. And it was just this one slip up because I, I was in a fin desperate financial situation and I lost my head. And I think you're just, you know, going to be merciful to me and consider those circumstances and let me off easy. He'd probably laugh in your face and say, well, you know, good going up until now. But you just smashed the law into a thousand pieces. And since I am a good man and I am a just judge, you're going to face the full penalty of the law. So think of God's judicial system the same way. If you slip up in even one part of the law, you're guilty of breaking all of it, and you will pay the penalty, okay, apart from Christ. I mean, hold that thought. I'll get to some good news here in a minute, too, okay? But let's continue on with uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 3 now. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man as an offering for sin. In other words, the law brought condemnation because it showed us how utterly and hopelessly sinful we are and unable to save ourselves from God's judgment against sin. But Jesus... But Jesus took care of that once and for all by taking the judgment for sin. Now, I love this verse right here that he, in Romans 8, he condemned sin in the flesh. All right? What's that mean? Well, if you've never thought about this before, this might be a revelation for some of you. And this is a wonderful truth, a wonderful revelation. And that's this. Rather than sin condemning us, get this, rather than sin condemning us, God condemned sin in those who trust in him. In other words, God stripped sin of its dominance over us. Praise God. Yeah, so now we're, we don't have an obligation to the sin nature anymore. Now we have, a, have an obligation to live by the Spirit. Praise God. Uh, verse 4, so that, I mean, let's back up and give context in verse 3. He thus condemns sin in the flesh, verse 4, so that the righteous standard of the law might be fulfilled in us. How is the righteous standard of the law fulfilled in us? 
What is the righteous standard of the law? First of all, let me ask that question. What is the righteous standard of the law? Does anybody know? Who said perfection? It was perfection, Doug, exactly right. The righteous standard of the law is perfection. See, in other words, if you're gonna work your way to heaven based upon your own merits, you have to be perfect. And since none of us are, we place our faith in the only perfect one, Jesus, and by doing so, we have fulfilled the requirements of the law. Isn't that great? Hallelujah. You know, Drew and I were having a conversation the other day. My uh, 16-year-old son, Drew, is reading through the Old Testament right now. I, I encouraged him to start in the New Testament. And he said, well, I just want to start from the beginning. I'm like, okay, go for it. And so he's reading through the Old Testament. And we have, had a discussion the other day um, about, you know, some of the things that, that he's reading. And um, we were talking about, you know, these animal sacrifices, all these animal sacrifices that, you know, they were required to make back then. I mean, it was such an arduous system that they lived in. All these animal sacrifices they had to make for the atonement of their sins. Praise God, that's, we're free from that now. Jesus took care of all that. We, ha we have fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law through faith in what Jesus did when he hung on the cross and he became the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, praise God. Okay? Next verse, or actually the continuation of verse 4. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let me read that whole section again. God, he thus condemned sin in the flesh, so that the righteous standard of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So walking in the Spirit in this context simply means walking by faith. So let me explain what I mean. It, it means walking by faith and not by sight. See, in other words, you don't base the faith of your salvation upon what you see and feel. In other words, your failures and successes. Because on one end of that spectrum, you can congratulate yourself if you think you're doing very, very good. Well, look, look how righteous I am because I do this and I do that and you know, I have flawless church attendance and, and it's that, you know, all these religious things that, that make you feel like you're worthy of God's pardon. It doesn't work that way. So you can't base the faith for your salvation upon your good days, nor can you base the faith for your salvation on your bad days either, because it doesn't work that way either. God doesn't love you any less on your worst day, because on your best day, Isaiah says that our righteous acts are like filthy rags in God's sight. So even on your best day, you fall fallen woefully short. So even when you have a, a horrible bad day or a bad week or a bad month, your, the faith for your salvation shouldn't be based upon those things because it's not in what you're able to perform, it's what, on what Jesus did, okay? You put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross. Is that making sense so far? Okay. Praise God. Let's continue reading in Romans 8. Verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So let me pause right there before we read the rest of this. Here we have the next principle in learning to walk in holiness. And that's that we must 
control our minds and our thoughts, ladies and gentlemen, if we want to control our behavior, okay? We must control our minds and our thoughts if we want to control our behavior. Let me restate that. We have to control what goes on in our minds if we want to control our behavior because it begins with the thoughts and then it works its way out. Just like that Ted Bundy story I just told you. He was dwelling on some dark things and it ultimately demanded that his body acted out. That's a principle of, um, of psychology that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago and I'll re-mention it here again today. There's a principle of psychology called neuro-linguistic programming. And what that means is that whatever your mind is continually, continually dwelling upon, your body will ultimately demand that you act it out. Now you could be saying, oh, well, this is just harmless. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just entertainment. No, whatever your mind is continually dwelling upon, your body will ultimately demand that you act it out. That's neuro-linguistic programming. It's a proven principle of science, and that's what the Bible teaches us, okay? So the Romans 12, 2, we quote it all the time, says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yes. All right, so on that note then, um, that relates to Philippians 4, 8, which we all know very well as well, which says whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about those things. So look, it's a choice. See, the default position of your mind is always to go down the dark road. That's the default position. That's the sin nature. It, if you just let your mind go any direction that it wants to go, it's always going to choose going down the, the, the dark, the, the calamitous. I mean, just that's the way the sin nature works. You've got to discipline your mind to think on these things, the Bible says. So it is a choice. It is a discipline. And then Colossians 3.16 says, well, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. So this is the point that I want to make about renewing the mind and thinking upon these things, as Philippians 8 says. It's going to take rich consumption of the word of God especially in this day and age where there's so much information coming at us from so many different directions and so much misinformation coming at us from so many directions. So many dark things coming at us from so many directions. If you are not taking in a rich consumption of the Word of God to combat that, it's probably going to end up taking you down a dark road and, and, and color and even perhaps twist your thinking. You've got to renew your mind through the Word of God. So, of course, the first choice, the first and most powerful tool in doing that is the Word of God. If you're not feeding on this all the time, I'm telling you, the current of this world that goes against you every day is probably winning. But if you are feeding on this every day, you're going to overcome. I recommend 
taking in every single tool there is available to you to get the Word of God in you. You're getting the Word of God right now in preaching and teaching. Please take advantage of that as often as you possibly can. Because I, I say this all the time, that if you can come to church and pick up one thing, one little nugget even, that'll help you and end up helping somebody else, it's worth your time to be here. Okay? Listen to audios, listen to preaching and teaching in your car, um, read other books that help you to understand the Bible better. I mean, you've got to be a student of the Word of God if you, if you expect to be transformed in the renewing of your mind. You've got to. You have no choice. This is what the Bible teaches us, and I can tell you from experience, in, in both directions, if you're not a student of the Word of God, you're going to start slipping backwards. If you are a student of the Word of God, you will progress in the things of God. See, the more your mind is set upon the things of God, the, the less power that the sin nature has over you. I'm going to say that again. The more that your mind is set upon the things of God, the less the sin nature has over you, less power the sin nature has over you. Because, and this is a key concept this morning, look at the screen, write this down. The power of the sin nature is in what you allow yourself to dwell upon. Because remember, um, we were once slaves to sin. We covered this point the last teachings. You were once a slave to sin, but now that Jesus has come in and broken the grip of Satan over your life, you're not obligated to sin any longer. You're not obligated to, uh, to be a slave of Satan and a slave of sin any longer. So the only power that sin has over us now is the power that we give it. And the power of the sin nature is in what you allow yourself to dwell upon largely. And the opposite is also true, by the way. The power of the new nature in Christ is also in what you allow yourself to dwell upon. You just got to change what you dwell upon. It's like investing, folks. If a, how many of you in here invest in the stock market or whatever else? Okay, a few of you. So you, you know that when, when, when you invest, you're looking for a return on your investment. And when you, when you invest in something, if you make a wise choice in what you invest in, you're going to get good things back. If you make a bad choice in your investment, you lose. Okay? The same is true here. If you invest in good things being planted into your heart and mind, you're going to get a harvest later on of good things. You're, the return on your investment is going to be very good. If you just feed on the world's trash music, trash TV, trash internet, um, guess what? That's going to come back too. And the harvest that you get from that is not going to be one that you want. Proverbs 23, 7 in the New King James Bible says that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So look at the screen. This is a good visual of what we're talking about here. If your mind is just consumed with things like this, worry, anger, dread, resentment, fear, self-pity, if that's what has consumed your mind and you're not trying to, to renew your mind with the promises of God and the, the good things in God's word, this stuff's going to dominate you. You're going to be depressed and in anxiety all the time. And God doesn't want you to live there. And, and one of those, by the way, I'm going to focus on the lower left-hand corner there in that image, self-pity. Because a lot of people slip very easily into self-pity and they, they actually feel 
very justified in doing so. I'm going to tell you something. Self-pity is not your friend. Self-pity is not your friend. It will drag you down like quicksand into a place that sometimes you have a lot of trouble getting out of. It will take your life down a dark vortex that you have trouble pulling yourself out of. As a matter of fact, you've heard me say before that Jesus uh, dealt with self-pity more harshly than just about anything else that he was ever confronted with because when he said to his disciples, we're going to go to Jerusalem and there I'm going to be turned over to the authorities and crucified, and Peter stepped in and said, Lord, this shall never happen to you. He said, get behind me, Satan, because you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. When self-pity tried to confront Jesus, he jumped on that with both feet. He would not tolerate that. And you shouldn't either. You shouldn't either. As a matter of fact, I want to give you a recommendation. Um, there's a, a man who has gone on to be with the Lord now, a good Christian man. He was, wasn't a minister of the gospel, but he was a, a motivational speaker. But loved the Lord, incorporated the you know, scriptures in his motiv motivational speeches. And that's a man by the name of Zig Ziglar. Man, if you have not... Uh, just, any title by Zig Ziglar, go pick up any book or any audio by Zig Ziglar, you'll come away from it having read that book or, or listened to that audio feeling better about life and feeling better about yourself and feeling better about your future. That was his ministry. And he says this, it really is true that what you are, it really is true that you are what you are. Let me start over. It really is true that you are what you are and where you are because of what has gone into your mind. And you can change what you are and where you are by changing what goes into your mind. That is so absolutely true. That is absolutely true. So I just want to make that recommendation to you. Any book or any audio by Zig Ziglar, like this most famous one is See You at the Top. Um, just wonderful wisdom and inspiration um, that is based on the scriptures. I mean, if you feel downtrodden, feel sorry for yourself, go pick up some Zig Ziglar. You'll, that'll get over real quickly. Yeah, that was his ministry. Praise God. All right, let's continue in our study of Romans chapter 8. Um, a little bit of a longer section here I'll cover. Those controlled by the flesh cannot please God. Those controlled by the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are, not, are controlled not by the flesh, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. That's not just referring to the resurrection from the dead at the end of your life and the end of time. It's talking about the strength that is available to you right here and now, his resurrection power right here and now for you to overcome the, this world and your own sin ten tendencies. So the thing I want to emphasize to you is that we're not in this fight alone. Jesus helps us. Hallelujah. Jesus helps us. Let's continue reading. 
Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death, there it is, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and by implication daughters of God. So the point I want to make about that little section is that there is some effort on our part, obviously. It's a partnership with God. We, we don't do it all ourselves without God's involvement, nor do we just rely on God to do everything while we sit back and you know, drink pina coladas or whatever. Right. There is some effort here, obviously. We have to put to death the misdeeds of the body. And when we make efforts toward that end, then God steps in to help us. Hallelujah. And strengthen us. Let's keep reading. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery that returns you to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship by whom we cry, Abba, Father. In other words, folks, we don't have a slave driver as a God. We have a daddy as a God. And that term Abba, by the way, is like a term of endearment. That's an old Hebrew word for what we would probably use today as daddy. It's like a term of endearment for your father, your biological father. Okay? So we have an Abba, daddy, father. You can know him like that. Abba, father, your daddy, who cares about you. Let's keep reading. Verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are God's children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If, 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 indeed, you don't like this word, I know. If, indeed, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. What sufferings is it talking about? The sufferings of battling against your own sinful desires. That's the context of what it's talking about. All right? Because it is a battle, isn't it? When your flesh wants to do one thing, it's screaming to do one thing, and you say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. There's discomfort on the front end of that. Isn't there? There's discomfort on the front end of that because your, your flesh wants to do it. But then you say no to that, and then you make a sacrifice on the front end, and then there's a, a blessing and reward on the back end of that. But if you give in to your flesh, and you just go ahead and obey your sinful desires, then you may have gotten some temporary appeasement to your flesh, but there's a hook in the bait, and there's a curse on the back end of that. Am I in good company today? How many of you have experienced the, the hook and the bait that you, you got some temporary relief and appeasement up front when you gave into your flesh, but then afterward there was a price to pay for it? Anybody in the room? Amen. Uh, yeah, amen. And, the, and the, the opposite is also true. You can bear witness to this as well, where you sacrificed on the front end and told your flesh no, but then there was a reward and a blessing on the back end of that. Anybody here experienced that? Yeah, praise God. God's faithful to his word. And I, I really like um, verse 18 here, which tells us that I consider that our present sufferings, the sufferings that we just described, 
are not even comparable to the glory that will be revealed in us. Your little suffering right now isn't even worthy to be mentioned compared to the glory that God has in mind for you and me. Hallelujah. But see, we have to, I think I said this last week, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And actually, I mentioned it here briefly in this teaching too. Uh, To live a life of holiness is to live a life of, who remembers what I said? To live a life of holiness is to live a life of, come on now, help me out, students. Huh? Who said faith? Excellent, Lisa. Lisa wasn't even here for last week. She's brand, she's brand new. And she's a visitor today. She wasn't even here. Good job, Lisa. <clears throat> yeah, to, to live a... That's funny. To live a life of holiness is to live a life of faith. The reason being is you have to believe that what you're giving up the sins that you're giving up would be otherwise a curse to you. Even though your flesh wants to do it right now, you have to believe what God says is true, that the the sins you're giving up would be a curse to you. And embracing what God wants you to do will end up being a blessing to you. You may not see the, the blessing tomorrow. You may not see it next week. You may not see it next month. But it's all sowing and reaping. It's coming back. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right, I'm almost done. I like this verse right here, John 14, 21. And this is another promise here about walking in obedience that I love. And it says this, this is Jesus speaking. He who has my commands and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. And here it is, here's the promise. Manifest myself to him. Who wants to have God manifest himself to you? Amen. Me too. I want God to manifest himself to this church. If I could get just a little sober for a moment. Um, We're all in different stages of our walk with Christ, so I realize that. Some of us are still learning the ropes and we're on a steep learning curve, and some of us have been around for a while. But I, I will say this, I'm, I'm very encouraged in, in, in some ways regarding um, the hunger of this church, but I, I also see that there's a, a lot of coldness and compromise here too. Is it okay for me to say that? There is. And I just believe that the Lord wants to stir us up this morning. The compromise here isn't as bad as I, I've seen in other churches, but it's here. The, the spiritual coldness and aloofness that I've seen here, it grieves me. It does, it grieves me. And I believe it grieves the Holy Spirit too because He has so much more in store for us than what we've personally experienced. I just want you to evaluate your own life right now. I mean, how much passion do you have for the Word of God? How much passion do you have 
for overcoming these little besetting sins. You, we tend to congratulate ourselves for the, the big socially acceptable sins that you know, we would be ostracized maybe by people for, but then you know, these little compromises along the way, we're like, there's no big, there's no big deal. God wants to take us past the big obvious things and peel down layer by layer like the layers of an onion and get to the core of who you are. And get to those compromises. Just let him speak to you right now. Folks, where is the temperature gauge of your love for the Lord? Where is your temperature gauge for the, the passion that you have for the Word of God, for prayer, for being in His house on a regular basis? You know, those things are, are a pretty good barometer of how hungry you are for a life of holiness and walking with the Lord more closely. And I'd love to be able to come up here and pat you all on the back and you know, pat your hand and say, ah, it's going to be okay, no problem. It's, you know, just, just love the Lord and, it's, and everything's okay. I do want you to love the Lord, but part of the love, loving the Lord means that you allow him to examine your heart and you allow him to address the compromises in your life so that he can do something really, really beautiful with your life. Because I'm, listen, I'm going to tell you something. If you don't address these compromises in your life, you're going to stay right where you are. And maybe even go backwards. A lot of, a lot of people are like, Lord, just use me. I want you to use me, Lord. I want, I want to just progress in my, in my, my ministry. And, and there's all these desires that we have, but God's trying to just get you to obey the thing he told you yesterday. You don't need a new revelation if you're not even acting on the five past revelations he's given you for Pete's sake. Just act on his word. Listen, this is not as complicated as we make it out to be. It's pretty simple. It's in the Bible. Obey it. The Christian life isn't like rocket science or anything. There's a lot to learn in here, in the Bible. Yeah, this looks like a pretty overwhelming book to a lot of people. But man, when you start feeding on it, oh my word, is it transformative. Oh my word, it's so transformative. All I'm trying to do, folks, is just fan a fire in you today. Man, my, my passion for you guys is to see your lives transformed the way that God has transformed my life by getting a hold of me when I was 26 years old and then giving me a, a love and a hunger for this right here that's literally transformed my life progressively and incrementally over time. And I'm so glad I would never go back. I would never go back. And I've told you this before, this is how important the Word of God is to me. And as this may seem weird, but this is actually something they did in the, in the, the Old Testament days. Um, they would, when a, a scroll, like the scroll of Isaiah, was opened up to be read, the person reading it would kiss the scroll before he read and kiss it again when he put it back down. I do that with my Bible. I love my Bible. I kiss it. Because it's food for my soul. And all I want to do 
is to see you guys transformed and to see you guys stop stepping on the landmines that some of you have been stepping on because you don't have the map to guide you through the landmines because you haven't been paying attention to it. Not all of you. Not all of you. But most of the body of Christ today is so biblically illiterate, no wonder. No wonder we keep stepping on landmines and blowing things up in our lives. When are we going to get serious about the house of God? When are we going to get serious about the word of God? When are we going to get serious about our own private time and prayer? When? If not now, when? God has sent forth a a little shot over the bow today. And he just wants us to get serious. Praise God. Okay, I think I'm done. Donna, would you come and play something? And you can all stand with me and let's pray. The one takeaway that I want you to get as uh, we prepare to pray here is that uh, that one, I mean, I'm trying to give you principles of walking in holiness. And that one principle that we talked about today is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to be transformed through your thinking if you want your outward behavior to change. Some of you have been very desirous of walking closer with the Lord and walking in the holiness, but you've been frustrated by your own lack of self-control. And so that's why I've been giving you these principles these last several weeks of walking in holiness. And this one that, that we've covered today, that one we just talked about very briefly, is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you, if you want your outward behavior to change, you've got to change what's going on up here. And that's accomplished with His Word. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.